How fashion and luxury will evolve in the face of disruption brought on by the pandemic, new technologies, and environmental and social concerns is a question top of mind for the industry. What will fashion look like in two, three, or 10 years' time? To answer it, we're spending 30 minutes each week with industry innovators leading the way through a changing landscape. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal, the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. The S launched at the end of last May, introducing a new way to shop on our phones in the middle of a global pandemic when many retail stores across the world were forced to close. By using a gamified approach to swiping through brands and products in the app, The Yes is hoping to win in a category that counts platforms like Instagram and retailers like Amazon as competitors, mobile shopping. Julie Bornstein, founder of The Yes, is here to discuss the company's trajectory one year in and what comes next. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Of course. So... I'm sure it's been a very crazy year for you for reasons beyond the reasons it was a crazy year for everyone else. Um, Why don't you take us back to the months leading up to the launch of the Yes, um, as the pandemic was clearly becoming a global crisis? How did you navigate the lockdowns with the launch? Where was your mind at? Yeah, it was a pretty crazy time. We were planning to launch originally um, on March 20th. 2020. And so, as you can imagine, um, we had been actually working for two years on the product. So, we launched um, the business in March of 2018. My co-founder and I started our funding and started building the product. So, we had been two years in the making, really building the technology behind the yes and signing on the brands. And so, we were all geared up after a small beta test to launch and suddenly COVID hit and we realized we couldn't launch. It was too crazy a time. Nobody knew up from down. We didn't know how long this thing was going to last. And it just felt like launching a fashion business at the start of this pandemic was just tone deaf and wrong. And so we decided to hold off and, you know, I would say regroup and continue to build the product we wanted. The truth is, you know, especially as a founder, you want everything to be so perfect when you launch. And so to me, there was a little bit of gift of time to get the last pieces just right um, and kind of focus on continuing to improve the experience before we launched it. Um, and we just decided, let's wait and watch and see what's going to happen. And we, you know, regrouped kind of every few weeks to assess what was happening and figure out if this was something that we could actually bring to life. The interesting thing is that because all the businesses in our industry were hit so hard by the pandemic, it almost gave us a little bit of kind of reason um, to launch in that we wanted to bring some more attention to the brands and our platform and help drive a little bit of volume. And so we eventually decided to launch in May um, and we gave proceeds to a great cause, um, an organization that was helping people in inner cities um, figure out how to, with the loss of their jobs, um, financially take care of their families. And then we also were excited to have a, an, a new way to shop online for people who weren't able to go into stores. And then, of course, to support our brands and help drive some volume for them. 
Right. I'm sure, uh, you know, two months in, it became clear everyone's at home. They're spending a lot of time on their phones um, and where people did have, you know, money that they weren't spending on travel or restaurants. Like, I, I think a lot of people ended up shopping on their phones. And so as you were watching this, the app unfold in the few months after launch, like what customer behavior stood out to you? Um, how did the yes fit into this very specific moment of, okay, retail has changed drastically and uh, all these brands need to adjust? I think it probably there were three things that stood out. I think the first was that people had a little bit more time on their hands and so they were and they were doing things differently so there's an experimental nature to people's sort of everyday lives that I think helped us. People were kind of open and and willing to try something new. So we saw a lot of people curious and downloading the app as a result of these other new shopping habits they were picking up, like using Instacart for their groceries. I think the second thing is that um, because a lot of people stopped buying fashion to go out or to where to work because those things weren't happening, but people still love to sort of shop and dream and look. And so this idea of having a playful app that allows you to yes and no product, which is how our, our app works, and allows you to start to just kind of save things and build lists was something that people were interested in. And so we would hear a lot about the fact that they liked training the algorithm or they liked keeping track of things they want to buy when they go back out. I would say the third thing that was really exciting to see was to the extent that people were buying, um, they were buying high and low in a single basket. So we would see things like a Prada order alongside an Everlane product. Or, you know, you'd see Aritzia and um, sort of Balenciaga in the same basket. And these are things that are really fun to see because it's our hypothesis that customers really do shop high and low, and it depends what you're buying for. So it was fun to see when there was a splurge, you could also see people buying things that were kind of more practical. We certainly sold a lot of, I would say, Zoom tops and casual clothes during this past year. So that's, I would say, another pattern. Yeah. How does it compare to now? I, I think we've heard from a few um, you know, retail CEOs that people are now starting to think about, okay, I'm going back into the world. They're starting to plan trips again as, as there are more vaccines being distributed. How have you seen that being reflected in what people are shopping? Yeah, it's really fascinating to see the shift. So you could really see the focus on casual and comfort in, you know, I would say the past year and in the last two months, we've really started to see an uptick in things like dresses and heels, um, swim and vacation-oriented stuff. And so you can start to see that there are events that people are buying for, and um, you can see that people are thinking about travel um, and just kind of willing to go outside the pure comfort zone and into things where they're going to be going out. So it's really exciting to start to see sort of the world opening up come to life in the product categories that consumers are buying. And data and technology is is very core to to the yes. Um, as you mentioned, it it was in development for for several years before launching, um, just to get the tech right. So, how does that data now, you know, configure into the strategy? I'm interested to hear uh, how you use that to make decisions for the project itself. Um, are you sort of telling brands like, okay, here's what we're seeing on our side? Um, as you've been kind of watching how customers are using the app, um, how has the role of data and technology changed? Well, it's interesting. So our whole model is built off of 
each user having kind of a, their own algorithm. And so what happens is a consumer comes on, fills out a profile of some high signal Q&A. And then as she shops, she continues to yes and no product so that we learn more about her preferences over time. And so I would say having the chance to spend the last year collecting this data and improving our algorithm has been really useful. And so the more people you have, the more you're able to learn from. And all of the things that are important for us, understanding people's brand preference and price preference, style preference at both a high level and really kind of a pretty detailed level. Do you like these kinds of sleeves, these kinds of necks, these kinds of sort of fit? All of that information is really useful. Most of our information we collect is at a single user level. So while we can look at patterns over lots of people, the algorithm is built to adapt to each user. So what's happened is as we get more data on the consumer, the algorithm understands the user better. As there are new trends and new categories emerging, there's new data points to start to collect. So if we show, you know, sort of a new trend that's happening, then we show the version of that trend that's relevant for each user. So you and I might both see slip dresses, but we will see brands that each of us likes and probably colorways that we like. And we will see you know, different sort of silhouettes based on our preferences. Um, But we continue to put new things in front of users so that we can always collect more understanding and better understanding of what your interest level is in different kinds of categories. So I think, you know, it's interesting. We have a lot of casual products in people's feeds because that's what they've been looking at. But as we start to see new product categories, growing or just see new products from a brand, we have the sort of ongoing ability to adapt it to the user. So, you know, I think that in general, some of the things that we learn from users are evergreen. So, you know, I never wear crop tops or I never wear leather. Um, But there are other things that are very much kind of in this moment, what are you looking for? And part of the thing we knew we needed to build into the algorithm is the ability to continue to explore and try new things with the user so that we were never stuck in the past, but we're always thinking about the future and what trends and what fashion elements are going to be relevant. And the brands help us do that just by the fact of they're continuing to always evolve their collections. And that's very helpful, too. Yeah. So I I consider the yes as part of this next gen class of retail. And clearly, that's I think that there's been a clear need for it as brands have wanted to own more of their sales um, by selling through direct channels like their own websites and um their stores. The department store model is almost like, you know, considered in this uh, class of needing rethought and brands have been pulling out of department stores or just rethinking the relationship there. So with that in mind, um, you know, we've seen Riso come up. You spent time at Stitch Fix, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so we have this, like, people are getting used to shopping multiple brands in, in different ways that it works better for them. And so as you are thinking of like this idea for the yes, How were you considering those factors um, in terms of how customers wanted to shop, but also how brands wanted to sell? Yeah, I mean, we very much see ourselves in that intersection between how do we help brands thrive for the future and how do we help consumers shop more easily? And our whole mission is kind of built on those two dynamics. And I would say when we started at the very beginning, our whole goal was to 
work with brands who were looking for growth through new customers and looking for insights that would be useful for their own growth and success. And I'm a huge believer in, you know, rising tides, lifting all boats. So I really think that the brand's own direct business should be a core part of their future growth. And we believe that we can be helpful to them, both in providing them data on how they can continue to improve their business and in providing a forum for customers who aren't looking for a specific brand in a moment to find the brand that may be a good fit for them in that specific need. So we see ourselves as both driving additional revenue stream and also driving kind of new customer introduction through our platform um, and also being kind of a brand-friendly platform for the times that consumers are looking in a multi-branded environment. Our whole concept was built so that it would not rely on the brands to have to do a lot of work on their end. So we built technology that made integration with brands very easy. And so we've really taken all the tech burden off of their plate. And then we do a lot of data sort of assignment to the products. So a brand doesn't need to have every product kind of fully identified with all of its attributes. For example, we take in the product from a brand, and then we assign it a whole host of additional attributes to be able to make the right recommendation to a user. And then we allow the the customer to connect directly with the brand through our platform by following a brand on Instagram or signing up for the brand's newsletter. So we're not trying to actually interfere with the brand relationship. And the product is shipped directly from the brand in their packaging. And we share all the data with the brand that's appropriate and, and relevant. So the goal for us is to be kind of a next generation brand partner where the relationship is very straightforward. We just charge a percent of sales and the partnership is quite easy for them because Lord knows they have plenty to do on their own roadmaps of what they want to build for their e-com businesses. Um, And then on the consumer side, we really think about the fact that, you know, there's no reason that there should be separate place you need to go for a DTC brand or a specialty brand or a department store brand or a kind of everyday fashion brand or a luxury fashion brand. We think the ultimate in luxury is bringing all of these brands that might be relevant to you together in one place as the customer. And that includes discovery brands, new brands you may not know, as well as the brands you know and love. To do that, however, it would be, if you think about it, very overwhelming if we carry the entire catalog from the brands that are part of our platform. And so the problem with e-commerce today and shopping online for the consumer is that it's totally overwhelming and you're seeing tons of noise. And so what we really want to do is say we can select from all of the brands in the fashion universe, but we will help each of you, each customer, find the right things for them. And so it's really a matter of having a really great assortment and having the ability to bring on this amazing set of brands, but also for each user really allowing our algorithms um, and recommendations to help you find the things that are most relevant for you as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And do you think that customers, as they are using the app for the first time, like, do they get it right away? Like, where is there a level of education of how you how you use it? What makes it different than a more straightforward retailer? Um, you know, what's that been like? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We've had customers say that um, once they start using the app, then they actually 
feel frustrated when they go back to shopping other sites because they love the interactivity. They love the fact that they can, yes, and even sometimes more know a product and they can remove it from their feed and they are able to sort of give feedback to their own shopping experience to improve it. So I think there are sort of people that come in having read about us and know what we're all about and are excited and get it. And there are other people that come in kind of saying, you know, they landed there some way through an influencer or a friend referred it, and they're trying to figure it out as they go. And so I think for us, we're trying to kind of create a path that explains the process as you're using it, but doesn't make it too cumbersome. And then in a lightweight way, continue to sort of add and evolve your experience. So, you know, we always have more work to do to help explain and continue to improve the recommendations. But I think people seem to really get it. And once someone gets into the process and starts to buy, they are hooked. And we have seen that people tell us they've moved their buying experience over to us because they just feel like it's a great experience. They have all of these brands that they didn't have in one place, and they feel like they like the fact that it's sort of time well spent because the more time they spend, the better the experience gets. Right. And and we spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, pandemic related and also pandemic aside, just what are the ways that fashion has needed to evolve? What does the next phase of retail really look like over the next five to 10 years? And in other ways, like, you know, what's going to stay true to fashion's more, you know, traditional ways of operating? So I'm curious to hear what what parts of fashion have you noticed over the years that you've been um, both with DS, but also in other areas of retail and at other companies are there ways where the fashion industry that you think is is broken and what do you think is going to remain what what has staying power in fashion i think that um you know sort of the notion of wanting to own a beautiful product is never going away. So I think that um, I'm excited to see all of the things that are happening both in rental and in resale. I do think that they're really interesting models. I'm not sure they will ever be the majority of the market. I think that there is just something very innate around humans wanting to own the product that they wear. And what we wear is such a reflection of our mood and our personality. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going away. Um, But I do think that there are going to be improvements in, you know, what I would say is ultimately sustainability. So manufacturing processes, materials used, um, more on-demand manufacturing. I think those things are going to help the industry a lot. And I think Gen Z, I mean, I watch my 18-year-old daughter, there are demands for certain things that companies can't get away from. And so it's exciting to see that customers are demanding it. And then I think brands will continue to improve their manufacturing processes to make them more sustainable and earth-friendly. I also think rental will grow and I think resale will grow. I think that they will remain sort of minority segments of the marketplace, but I think that there's so far to grow that, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth in, in those segments and new companies that continue to emerge to make the most of those um, models. Yeah, and I think that something interesting we've seen is now brands um, in the past year uh, or several months are getting more directly involved in areas like resale and rental. And so I'm interested how um, you're thinking of the yes as you have this platform, you have this engaged customer. Are there opportunities to then build on new models and new ways of like, okay, here's a few options that customers can have. If you want to buy, you can buy, um, but it doesn't have to be contained to that. I think um, we actually featured the S in a recent article on on on-demand manufacturing. And so there's a new partnership um, to 
make custom goods. Is, is that right? So I just thought that was an interesting way to say, okay, the yes could almost be this this um, foundation, um, but doesn't need to be confined to that one model. It does not. And um, there was an article about Carest, a new brand who's doing on-demand manufacturing. And I think that um, we definitely see ourselves as really a sort of diversified portfolio of brands and of capabilities. And so while we will stick with kind of first-party sellers right now, um, certainly as brands themselves get into resale or rental, we see ourselves as being really a platform to do many things. And so our primary goal is to help the customer find what's right for her. And if she's interested in other ways of buying down the road, it will definitely be something that we're open to. I'm really interested in both, you know, following kind of patterns of um, evolution and sort of the way consumers interact, but also making sure that we understand what our unique positioning in the market is and staying true to that. And so, you know, if you think about having sort of the ultimate personalized shopping experience where you can get what you need and you can find what you're looking for quickly and effectively, that's our our primary goal. What we need to enable that requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of brands. It requires sort of flexibility to meet the customer where she's at. Um, so that's how we think about the growth of our business. You know, over the years, there's been several iterations of companies wanting to become the de facto like mall of mobile and bring together a really good multi-brand retail experience specifically for mobile. Um, you know, why do you think it hasn't so far worked so well. Um, I think when it comes to mobile shopping, it seems like it's always ebbing and flowing. Okay, everyone needs an app. Actually, maybe every retailer doesn't need an app. Um, There's always been a lot of questions around how people shop on their phone. At the same time, we've known that there is an opportunity here. Um, You know, why do you think that past um, potential versions have been harder to stick with customer behavior? And and how did the Yes approach this differently with a mobile first, you know, state of mind? So there's a a couple of things about mobile that I think are really interesting. One is that obviously when you're building for mobile, you're looking at the small form factor and trying to optimize for that and make it easy to shop. But that is not enough in and of itself. And so especially at mobile where you just have fewer products available to you in your view, you need to think about what is the shopping experience on mobile limited to and how do you make it sort of optimized for that experience. And I think We approached mobile first primarily because we felt like that is the new way of shopping and it is a harder sort of arena to build for. And so let's take that sort of more confined space and figure out how to do what it is that we need to do. But mobile in and of itself is just a channel that customers use. And so it's not like you can build something that meets the customer wherever she's at and only make it mobile. And we always knew that. We always planned to build web, and we're launching web later this month, actually. And the thing about mobile is that it's hard to acquire customers through mobile because if you're an app only, you don't have the ability to leverage links to basically drive customer acquisition. So that's one way that mobile, I think, 
when your app only is a challenge for any commerce business. The second thing is that what's interesting with mobile in COVID is that if you look at the trend, mobile was sort of slowly and steadily growing as a percent of sales from a channel standpoint. And then with COVID, everybody was at home. And so there was a little bit of slowness that happened in growth of mobile. It will go back once we get out of COVID and the world continues. But I think ultimately customers shop through multiple channels. And so you need to build something that is very flexible and connected through all of these channels. And it needs to be cognizant of the frame of mind and also kind of the usability elements. And building mobile just for the sake of mobile, you know, doesn't make sense. You need to think about what are we building if we're building, in our case, a store that has all brands, but helps you find what you're looking for. That's super valuable because otherwise going through, you know, a thousand product results on your mobile phone is a nightmare and impossible and, you know, you're going to abandon. And so I think that in our case, the reason mobile made so much sense is because we are building really a unique experience for each user. And that felt very relevant to the small mobile space as well as to e-commerce website. That's really interesting because I think I do agree that it's like for a few years there, it was very like mobile was revered as this like very other channel. And I and I think now it's come to the realization that no one channel should be thought of in a very other way because customers are just where they are whenever they are there. And so I think that has also led to companies like Instagram seeing a big opportunity. Okay, customers are looking at products while they're using our app how about we built in an e-commerce component as well? And I know that Instagram is now being compared to, okay, it's now wanting to be, you know, the next generation shopping mall. Um, do you consider like social media companies to be within your realm of of potential competitors that are sitting outside of retail? Because yes, it, it doesn't really have a social component, but it is a bit more gamified. It has this element to it beyond just shopping. There's definitely product discovery kind of at the forefront. Yeah. We actually do have a social component in that you can see your friends' yes lists and you can um, share your yeses with other with your friends. So that makes it fun and easy to sort of shop alongside friends. I do think that what Instagram and TikTok and Pinterest and even Google are trying to do is super interesting. And I think that they will have unique opportunity and angle in shopping. But I don't actually consider them competitors because Ultimately, they're trying to boil the ocean. They're covering all categories. They're not specifically about the fashion category. And they're also really about impulse. And, you know, I think that I always say, you know, I think Instagram will become the ultimate like impulse buy channel because you see things and the easier they make it to connect to buying, then the more likely someone is to convert. But I don't think that their DNA is around um, shopping and helping a customer figure out what the right product is for them. And they're also you know, fundamentally ad model businesses. And I think there's just a conflict with that in that what you want to do is you want to focus on what is the right thing for the customer and not what product you sell is going to make you the most money. You know, that innate conflict we're even seeing with Amazon where you go to buy any category and you see the sponsored, you know, products at top and it's really hard to figure out what's the right product versus where, you know, what what's being pushed and what product's making them the most money. And I think fundamentally as a shopping platform, we are totally focused to how do we make shopping 
easiest, most effective, and best for you. And so I think of us as really sort of ultimately probably a partner to these social media channels. We see customers talking about us on Instagram and on TikTok, and then that drives customers to us. So I see them as complementary more than I do as direct competitors. If you're swiping, like there's not going to be, you're not seeing, okay, and here's an ad. Like, is that not part of the, the yes business model then? No, we are not an ad-driven business. We are totally just a an e-commerce focused business. Right. Great. Well, we're we're almost out of time, but I'm interested to hear, you know, looking ahead, I we I know we talked about sustainability, we talked about all these next gen models. Um, has anything changed about about your outlook on on what the yes is and, and can be in the past year now that you've um, seen a lot more people using it um, and have seen retail itself change. Um, I think the biggest word that we've heard in the past uh, few months is that there's been a great acceleration to digital. And so I imagine this is a good place for for the Yes and a mobile app to be. Um, has anything changed about your outlook on, on what comes next? And uh, where do you see the biggest opportunity from here? Well, it's interesting. I think um, when we started, we were built as a dropship model. But I do think that this whole concept of e-concession is not just really cost-effective for the brands, but it's also really good for the environment. Um, You know, I think there's less waste um, because there isn't all this leftover product sitting in all of these other companies' warehouses. Um, And there's also less waste because you're not shipping from a location to another warehouse to a customer back to another warehouse. And so, you know, I think I all ready knew that if we could leverage the brand's own inventory that they're using anyway to drive their direct businesses, as well as their assets where we're not shipping samples back and forth like crazy to reshoot photos, it would be more efficient. But I think I'm even more convinced that that model is going to drive efficiency, effectiveness, a better consumer experience, and sort of you know, better sustainable practices for retailers. And our ability to do that at scale is something that I feel will ultimately be an advantage for us. Yeah. And so looking at what will define this next era of digital retail, do you think of efficiency as as being one of the main ideas? I do. I think it's a matter of you know, this combination of helping people discover the right products for them in a sea of just overwhelm um, alongside the ability to kind of efficiently manage inventory, which is the biggest challenge in this industry as being two key components to winning in the future. Great. I really enjoyed this conversation and, and we covered a lot of ground. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was really fun to talk about all these things. Thanks for all your questions. Join us next week for a new episode of The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. You can find all our shows from this series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. For more coverage on the future of fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. My name is Hilary Milnes. That was The Future of Fashion. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal, the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise.